0: We want to welcome all of you here today. Man, I tell you what—I get a little emotional and all that. And well, why not? You know, why not when you see people's lives being transformed? And um, and I know that there's some of you that are sitting here today, and you're you're having the most spiritual thought in the world. You're like, "Wow, if we just did baptism, how much longer is this going for?" Um. Don't worry, we already cut one song out, and I'll shorten my sermon just a wee bit. But if you're here and you haven't been here, we've just come through this eight-week series called Uncommon, where we have grown to, we just, we're just sick and tired of just being religious. We're sick and tired of just being, I don't know, like American Christian, uh, Bible belters, uh, or just ethically and morally, maybe a little bit more cohesive, that we're looking for something to be uncommon about us. That if Jesus really did die and rose, it should, on a very material level of our souls, should affect us in some way. There should be something about uncommon. So we're kind of putting a pin in it today. And and, um, it's really been a great series. And and two reasons why I think it's been a great series is one, that God has really exposed for us or exposed for us through his word ways that we can flourish by being uncommon in re- marriages, in, in relationships, in dating, in, in all kinds of areas that God has kind of revealed that to us. The second part about the series is kind of like my personal delight in the series is, is you, is that you were so willing to be taught. Do you know how hard it is to find people, even in a church? Most people go to churches to find a church that already aligns itself with what they believe. But over the last eight weeks, you have allowed the word of God to be presented to you, hopefully mostly right, sometimes wrong, because I'm not perfect, but you allowed God to step on your toes on how you're doing life. Even in my life, I was kind of, I, you know, I, I had finished a sermon and I'm like, oh crap, I just talked about that. And I'm like, I, I gotta go home and fix my life because, that area of my life was not in order. But I don't consider that a bad thing. I consider that a good thing. When when all of a sudden I realized that I had settled into some normative Christian thing as opposed to living uncommon. We grew together over the last eight weeks through relationships, through small groups, and with God. And I began to look at some of the things that we learned. We learned that there was more to us than living in this world. That Jesus said something uncommon You are not of this world, as if we're some sort of alien creature that landed here on the planet. But he began to communicate to us that, yes, there is something different about us, and not just in our behavior and our ethics or our voting or whatever it is that we tend to call Christian, but rather that that our place in him is different, that who we are in him is different. We learned that our character is like a mini culture within us that every one of us have a personal society within us and we create a culture in our family, and our relationships, that when we walk uncommon, when we walk Christ-like around people, that we have the power of culture creating. We learned that we don't have to strive to be the center of the universe in order to flourish. That if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. We don't have to be the center of everything. We learned also that we were created out of a mission of God so that we could live in mission with God, that we could create spaces of flourishing on the planet, that we could create places of safety and love and affirmation and truth on this planet. And then we were challenged, and this one really got all of us, that we were challenged about thinking about ourselves way too highly and way too often. And that God challenged us to stop the, the overinflated self in us and to begin to inflate the lives of other people with love and with compassion and truth. We learned about uh, being uncommon even in our vocations, that our jobs are not just jobs, but they are expressions of our faith. That there is no place else on this planet, no more time in your life where you'll spend able to reveal your character with Christ than when you're on your job. How you do your job is important, and God calls us to not just do our job well, not just to do our job for our pay, not to just do what we're told, but to do our job uncommon. Then last week, we learned about the power of uncommon treasure, how we use our resources, our advantages in life. That we are we are called to templing to create uh, spaces of people for people to flourish and to honor God. So all of this was uncommon, uncommon compassion, uncommon courage, and uncommon character in our lives. It kind of became a, a map of our human experience for us. You know, it, it became became like the map that we journey through in life, and we're all we're all journeying, but this. Uncommon idea began to become our map and how we traveled. Being uncommon and walking after Christ helps you avoid pitfalls. It helps you recover from misdirections, and I don't know about you, but I've had quite a few misdirections in my life. It helps us to travel with meaning, and we're going to be focusing on that today. What does it mean to travel with meaning? It helps us arrive at fulfillment in our lives. So it not only helped us to discover God's plan for us, but it also helped us to discover his glory, to give him glory and and to help people around us. I'm gonna borrow a phrase that's kind of a, a, a buzzword today or a buzz phrase today, that I think kind of, for me, laid out the uncommon life. That the uncommon life is discovering God's map of meaning. God's map of meaning. See, so much of our lives are lived. And that's a cool thing. I like living. I mean, it's a pretty good option. But, but a lot of our lives are lived without meaning. Not meaning that we have meaningless lives. Because most of us feel like our lives have a meaning. But most of our lives are executed without meaning. We do um, a routine to accomplish tasks. You know, so you, you've got a routine, you get up in the morning, I don't know what it is, maybe you get up, it's 6, six o'clock, you, go down, you get on the elliptical, you know, you do the elliptical for a while, then you go make your coffee, and then at about a certain time, the alarm goes off, you wake up the kids, you get the kids all packed up, and then you get them off to school, and then you go to work, and you do that work, and then at 5 o'clock, you come off, and, and then you go home, and you get the kids take him back from soccer. You go through the tasks and the routines of it all. And then if it's a Wednesday, there's a new Mandalorian out on Disney Plus. And so you're like, okay, it's time to watch Mandalorian. And you go through this routine. Nothing wrong with routine. But we go through routine and then we just accomplish the task. And there's a part of us that's satisfied with routine. I mean, it does do something for us. And accomplishment does something for us. But don't we all know that there, you can execute routine and have no meaning in it at all? We work for money's sake. Cool, It's like to get money, uh, don't like working for free, but you know we work and we work for money and, and we kind of go through that. And sometimes we can do our jobs without any sense of meaning. Um, we even raise kids for different reasons. Um, one, we raise kids, I'm trying to think, for duty's sake. Uh, i got to raise them, they're my kid. you kind of like, you had them, you raise them. And so you can end into a parenting model or mode of execution where you're doing it out of duty. It's because they're your kids and this is what you do. And, you know, on this planet is we raise our children. Or you, you raise your kids so that they don't embarrass you in public. Maybe that's your highest paradigm. It's like, just don't act stupid in front of people. And so you're raising your kids and, and maybe that's the task that you're, you're executing. And so sometimes we find ourselves that we, we can't even control the tasks that we have to do. And a lot of us aren't even picking the tasks that we do throughout the day. And we just go through life, executing life, executing life. I've come to discover this. You can't always control the forces that make you do something. But you can control how you do that something. And that's, that's the spaces between the bricks that God wants to get into with the uncommon. That's where he wants to insert meaning into our lives. I mean, just think about it, I, I don't, I mean, we boast about nobody's gonna tell me what to do. I got civil liberties, you can't make me do this and you can't do that. I'm just gonna ask you to over the, on Monday, I want you to track how much of you doing what the heck you wanna do is actually taking place And how much of it that you got to do is really what's driving your life. And for a lot of us, we can't control some of the things that we have to be involved in and that we have to do. But God is like, listen, I want to help you how you are living in that. Help you living in it with meaning. So living uncommon kind of helps map that out for us. Uh, The Bible has this story about the nation of Israel, God's people. Um, and so God mapped out this this map of meaning for them, and it was really cool, and everybody wanted it. You know, he mapped out this idea of being delivered from bondage of Egypt, and uh, he threw out this idea about, hey, I'm going to bring you to a promised land, and and everybody liked that part of the mapping. And then there was like, he mapped out part of it would be that you would overcome your enemies, and then you would come to this mountain and you would rediscover me and I would give you my principles for life and and that, you know, eventually you'll get to this promised land where there'll be land flowing with milk and honey. And it was like, and and everybody was kind of cool with that map. And that sounded like a, a map with meaning to it and everybody wanted that map. But someplace along the line, they didn't want the map of meaning of God. They didn't want that any longer. They began to rebel against God Um, and their mapping was lost. And they began to wander for like 40 years in the desert. They they lost the sense of meaning. Now, let me just say, in the middle of all that wandering in the desert stuff, there's laundry that still needs to be done. The tires still need to be rotated. Gas needs to be put in the car. The kids still gotta go to school. Money still has to be made. But in the middle of all that, that still has to be done in life, there was a sense of loss in all of it. You don't have to imagine Israel in the desert to get this. Imagine your marriage at about year seven, or maybe year 12. You know, year, let's go with year 13. You can import some superstition if you want, but also it's not like a five. You know, if there's a five, you get a little excited because, hey, this is 15. This is 20. This is 25. You know, this is our 35th year of marriage. But, you know, you're 13. There's like no intrinsic, like, like joy out of the number, you know. And that's what happens to a lot of our lives. We get into this routine of marriage. You're waking up to the next person. You go through the routine. You're taking the kids. Am I my taking the kids. And there is routine that has to be accomplished. But in the middle of it, you can lose a sense of meaning. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. So the Apostle Paul writes to people like you and me, New Testament people. Okay, so he's, he's writing to us. He's writing to Charleston. He's writing and he's saying that that Israel story that I just told you about, he said, I need you to read this because this can happen to you. You can lose your map of meaning. Not that you lose the love of God, but you can choose not to walk in this mapping of fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And so he says, he's saying to me, and he said, as he wrote it to the Corinthians, hey, read them this story because they may be in this place in their life. They need to, you need to warn them about this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they crave. Now you're gonna hear words like craving, idolatry, immorality, and you know, like sin kind of ideas. And I know that you're, you're kind of like trying to export yourself to a time, you know, in the past of looking what an idol looks like and immorality. Let me just import that all these things are the behavior or the execution of life without meaning. Without worship, without being centered towards God, where things that were intended to be great, worship was great, but it de-evolves into this idolatry. Sex is supposed to be great in relationship and context, but it de into something. See, he's talking about things that lost their mapping. Things that we execute without meaning become just routine. And he's warning us about that. So don't get thrown by the Old Testament kind of words. It's like, well, I'm not bowing to a golden calf. It's like, well, you know, this is statements about losing purpose and meaning in one's life. It says, do not be idolatrous as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Well, I I know exactly what that's all about. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day, big sinkhole, Yeah, it's really interesting. You should read it. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble. Isn't that amazing? We're talking idolatry. Then we're talking immorality. And then the next, you know, you're thinking, on what is on the next thing down? I mean, idolatry, we're all in it. And then it's like, you know, immorality. Absolutely not. We're now jumping down to grumbling. Because grumbling is so common. Complaining about one's life is so common. And you know what grumbling about one's life means? That you are forgetting the map. That you've misplaced it somewhere. Nor grumbling as some of them did. And the destroyer, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. I love it. It, What is that? It's like grumbling can destroy you a couple different ways. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction for you and me 21st century people upon whom the ends of the age have come therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed least he uh take heed that he does not fall see it doesn't really matter how the de- the destruction is brought about really you know because we can kind of get lost in the story. It's like, well, that's Bible language. It must have been like a death angel coming down, you know, and fire out of heaven and all that. And, and don't get caught up in, in that kind of a ima- mat. that was real, but don't let it be the thing that goes into your mind, that you imagine how it happens. Destruction happens. It's not how it happens. It's why it happens. That's the big player here. And, and the reason why it happens is because we lose God's map of meaning for our lives. So it doesn't really matter if it's a death angel or you just despise your spouse. They're both destroyers. Um, It it really doesn't matter whether a hole opens up or it's jealousy, because they both are destroyers and they swallow up. And Paul's like, you need to be very careful about how you're living your life. See, I think too many of us allow the topography to define our fulfillment. You know, what does the map look like? The highs, the lows, the valleys, the mountains, the terrain. Um, And we allow it to determine whether we're happy or not or whether we're fulfilled or not. We will use a phrase, it's not a mapping phrase, but it is a phrase that we use to evaluate life. I'm in a good place. Have you ever used that phrase before or somebody used it with you? It's like, hey, how's life? I'm I'm really in a good place right now. And it's a phrase that we use, but it usually has something to do with the topography of our life experience. It's like, we're no longer in a valley. We're no longer climbing up a mountain, but we're in like flat spaces. And so it's like, I'm really in a good place right now. It usually means uh, we have enough money. And, and, when, and for you, that may be your topography, your map, is that your finances, is that you have a good day when your money's good, and you have a bad day when your, your money's bad, and you, it's, you determine your fulfillment based upon that uh, topography. Or maybe you're enjoying your job and things are going good at work, and so you're in a good place. Or maybe you're not suffering many hardships right now, and and so you're in a good place. Or maybe your back is not hurting as much this week, and so you're in a good place. Or maybe as a couple, you're not arguing as much, and so your marriage is in a good place. And I think we do this. We, We find fulfillment when we arrive at a good place. But what about all the bad places on the map? I mean, that would require that fulfillment live life only on a a map of experiences that are good places. But sometimes, and a lot of times, I would be willing to say, is, and that's why we call it the pursuit of happiness, meaning that the default experience as humans is not a good place. It's a difficult place in life. And I've run into some people recently because um, I've found my life over the last couple of years, you know, physical issues, things like that. And then pain that I couldn't handle and then dealing with depression that came with the pain. and, And it was like, I found myself in a bad place. And I was begging God to give me a good place. And that's what most of us go to church to do, to try to find a good place. But I'm beginning to find that the solution is not God putting you in a good place. And so when I get into a bad place, um, I look for people who are living successfully in a bad space. So when my back hurt me and I couldn't, you know, mountain bike anymore, and I couldn't, you know, play sports and go to the gym anymore and do stuff like that anymore, it's like I started looking for people who were, who were gymmers and and mountain bikers, and runners that couldn't do it anymore. And I wanted, to, I wanted to find out for them, how do you handle this bad space? Because the doctor says, I'm not getting out of this bad space. And I'm praying in faith, asking God to help me out of this bad space, and it hasn't changed. And so I began to notice some of you who... who In your journey right now, you're living in a bad space. And it's interesting, right now in my life, I'm drawn to people who are living in bad spaces. I wanna know, I wanna be around people who went through a divorce. I wanna be around men who have struggled with pornography. I wanna be around people who have dealt with addictions. I wanna be around people that uh, are wrestling with pain. And, but in it, in that place, they've learned, they've learned joy, they've learned meaning. They're not executing pain for pain's sake, divorce for divorce's sake, loss for loss's sake, going through death for death's sake, going through breakups for breakup's sake. But yet in it all, they are experiencing this sense of meaning. They've, They've put a pin in the map. See, because really, if you look at that picture, The map that God's got us on of divine meaning is not the paper map. It's the red lines and the pins that are being put in the map. Those red lines in that map up there are representing the travel of meaning between these points, good places and bad places because we all travel to them. So some of you, I wanna thank you for, you're absolutely heroic, absolutely heroic. And I normally wouldn't have noticed you. And I, I will just tell you this. And I told this to two sisters. They're about my age, a l- little bit older. And I told them I was going to use them as an example. But they are, um, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to be honest with you. They're not people I would normally notice. Uh, they're not six foot tall. They're not in the gym. They are uh, not A-type personalities. They are... Uh, uh, They're older, they're shorter, and they're in pain all the time, all the time. An accident occurred, it was thrust upon them. They live in pain all the time. And normally I would have missed them because I wanna hang out with the people who are in a good place. I wanna hang out with the six pack abs people. I wanna hang out with that 64 year old guy that's riding that, motor, that uh, I was gonna say motorcycle, maybe that's in the future, I don't know. But I, I, I wanna be around that guy. And now in my life, it's kind of like, I've discovered these other people. So these two sisters are amazing. And so I saw them at the picnic yesterday, I put my arms around them and I said to them, I think to their shock, I wanna thank you for inspiring me to have hope. And they're looking at me like I was a wacko. And, uh, and it's like, no, you don't understand. Finding people who can live with meaning in the middle of death, in the middle of divorce, in the middle of loss, in the middle of an illness that's not going away, that's amazing. You've discovered something. You're not just going through life and a victim of life, you are discovering meaning in it. And you say, well, you know, Aren't we supposed to, life always supposed to be good? Well, life isn't always good. That's why we need to be uncommon. Paul said it this way. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content anywhere on the map. Whatever the circumstances, mountains, valleys, flatlands, I know what it is to be in need, real need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, any location in the ma- on the map, I have learned meaning in it. That's powerful. That prepares you for the next 10 years, that prepares you for tomorrow. That prepares you for poverty. That prepares you for wealth. That way we don't have to get scared. Are we gonna have a war with China and Russia? What's going to happen with inflation? What's going on with America? As if our hope is there, but rather Paul said, I know when it was good. I know when it's bad. I've experienced loss. I've experienced gathering. I have learned meaning anywhere on the map. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's it right there. The uncommon life. Paul is not talking with pie-in-the-sky mentality. And that's why I hear a lot of Christianity. It's been my biggest beef with Christians, to be honest with you. Is, uh, and, and if you, I know you may not normally come here because you came here for baptism. You know, I'm about to give you a reason why you won't come back. Is because I can't stand pie in the sky Christianity that wants to turn everything into good. Okay? Um, There's actually a theological name for this philosophical and theological bent. It's called consequentialism. It's for your self edification. Just want to give you a, a philosophical, theological term. But it is the attempt to make everything that happens, even evil, into something good. And I know you're looking at that and you're like, oh wait a minute, isn't that what we do? That's what we try to do. We try to turn evil into good. I remember one time somebody had, uh, had a family member we experienced as the church, uh, he killed himself. And I remember in the middle of it, somebody was trying to comfort somebody um, and in the family by telling them, you know, God's gonna use this for good. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do you, so you're, hold on now, wait a minute. We're gonna try to baptize a suicide. It's like, how about just admitting we're in a bad place. An evil happened, a loss happened, you know, death happened. And, and what we try to do is we try to say, well, well, there's really no evil in the world that everything's really good. And it's like, no, there's evil in the world. When you were molested, it was evil. When you were cheated on, it was evil. When you cheated, it was evil. When, you know, what we experience around us, it is evil. What God wants to do instead of us trying to turn evil into good is to find meaning anywhere on the map. To find meaning, to find him, to find the uncommon in it. You know, to find uncommon in a bad marriage. Not pretend it's a good marriage. Sometimes couples will come to me and they'll be like, yeah, this, and they'll be like, yeah, we do some good days. The-. I'll be like, listen, your marriage sucks. I mean, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Let's just get honest about the condition of it so that we can begin to implement what needs to change. Stop pretending this is good. This is chaos. And so Paul is like, you know, he didn't change the bad into good. He learned how to be content, live with meaning, even in, when the map led him to a place that wasn't comfortable, that wasn't easy. See, you can't, you can't make every point on the map a good place to be. You can't do it. And um, we, we try to do it. Let's see, uh, I want to make this place go. Go get me another woman. Uh, go get me another. Well, let me just say this. Some of you are, have developed since COVID drinking wine every single day. And I, I know I'm not an anti-alcohol guy, but if you're drinking a bottle of Merlot or a Cabernet or whatever it is that is a day, if you can't wait to get home to have your glass of wine, you might have lost your map of meaning. But you know what? I find that that's what drives most men to porn, is they've lost their sense of personal strength, so they try to find it in porn. I find that some of us um, uh, will, will try to import something to, I was going through my divorce, and, uh, and I know I just lost the people who were visiting. Um, I was going through my divorce, but right before the divorce happened, I remember me and my ex-wife talking about we needed to change the map, you know, this point on the map. So we talked about having another child because that's what people do when the marriage sucks. We need to kind of import something to make this bad place a good place. Let's bring in another child. You know, isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that kid growing up when they turn 18 and say, hey, just want to let you know you were born just to save our marriage. No pressure. (laughs) But we need to realize how how to live in a difficult space. That's the uncommon life. The paper map of life doesn't own us. We're just traveling it. The real map is not the paper. It's following after Christ. It's the uncommon life. Paul said it this way in, second, uh, in Galatians chapter two. He said, "It is no, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, meaning that old mapping system is not what determines happy day, sad day, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live, the map I'm now traveling. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's like, Wow. He's no longer living a Jewish map. He's no longer living a dude map. He's no longer living a get rich map. He's no longer follow your heart map. He's no longer living whatever makes you happy map. The real map are the pins of meaning that we find no matter where we are. Let me just tell you, you gotta find meaning in wealth or otherwise it will ruin you. So we always think about finding meaning in pain, that's difficult. Let me just tell you what Americans aren't doing. We're not finding meaning in wealth because we end up getting owned by it or squandering it or hoarding it. See, then and only then do you realize you don't have to live in a good place all the time or hate the place that you're in. You can flourish in any topography in any space, in any moment. The pursuit of happiness, it's because it's not the default mode. I was listening to Jordan Peterson, he's kind of a guy I like listening to a lot, but um, he was talking about, to the crowd, he said, we always wonder why is it that people do cocaine? He said, as a psychologist, I'm amazed people that everybody's not doing cocaine. So we wonder, why is it that people have affairs? Like, I'm surprised everybody's not having an affair because life in its default mode is hard and difficult. And for the most part, people will try to import some sort of, to try to turn a bad place into a good place instead of no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in this flesh on this map of good days and bad days and depression and happiness, I live now by faith in the Son of God. And, and it's, it's who I am on that map that's more important. You can flourish on, in any topography, in any space, and in any moment, even if it's a bad moment. James said it this way, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, discovering, if I would say, that the testing of your faith does produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is all about discovering divine meaning in any place on the map. It's not like, yay, I'm suffering. Yay, I'm poor. Yay, I've got cancer. Yes, my, I'm so excited my spouse died or my friend took their life. This, because God's going to use it for good. It's like, uh, I don't know. I see a lot of people who go through that that end up wasted. It doesn't, the moment doesn't have an intrinsic outcome that is good. It's the meaning we discover in the moment that changes everything. As we move into communion, I know that you have been handed a map when you were born. You were genetically handed a map that your life may go a certain way. My body doesn't produce good cholesterol. You're supposed to have it like 65. My body produces 11. I exercise, try to keep the weight off. and My cholesterol is horrific. Nothing you can do about it. Got plaque built up around my heart and all the other stuff. And it's like, whoa, what's that all about? It's a map, it's called genetics. You didn't get to pick that one. But will I let that map determine who I am? Will I go around moping because my genetic map kind of screwed me over? I know that you might've been born into a map and that from the womb, the abuse of your father, The neglect of your mother was already mapped out and you came out of the womb to an uphill climb or to a valley of the shadow of death. You didn't even pick that. I know that experiences, failures, hand you a map. Society wants you to live in a certain place in a certain way. God wants you to discover through the uncommon life with Christ meaning and fulfillment wherever you are. I, uh, I was thinking the other day, I was laying in bed and I was just thinking because sometimes you know you get that one o'clock, two o'clock wake up and um, you're just laying in bed and you're wondering why am I awake and I, I was just laying there thinking about how many different kinds of buildings I've been in. And I know that's a a really odd thought. And I was thinking, no, no. What are the buildings you have been in the most in your life? If you were to like, all the time of your 64 years of living, like what are the top three buildings you have been in? Types of buildings. I would say a home would probably be the number one building. I would say the second building is probably a gym. You know, I've always been in gyms all my life. Always went to the gym. And then the third would probably be a church. Because I got saved a little later on in my life. And so, you know, I'm now spending a lot of time. It's like, what is my point? Is that when I try to live life in an uncommon way, I will probably forget all the sermons and all the verses that we went through in the last eight weeks. And you will probably forget most of them but I recommend that there's probably three you could remember I'd be willing to bet that there's probably one building one truth, one idea that if you could stay in that building you're going to be okay I have such a verse it is the building I have been in the most in my faith I don't understand all the Bible, I don't If you ask me what was Jeremiah 17, 5, I have no idea. Uh, But I do know this one building. And let me encourage you to take this one verse. And maybe it's the building you start to live in and that you spend your most time in. And it's talking about mapping of meaning from God. Listen to this most familiar one trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight do not be wise in your own eyes fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones nothing there about living in only good spaces. And that building there and that space there is like, you don't have to figure it all out. Don't lean to your own understanding. Take your map, give it to the Lord. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Connect with Him in an uncommon life of following after Him. Turn away from the things that He tells you to turn away from. Trust in the Lord and it will be refreshing to your life and healing to your bones. What is that implying? It's that you are probably in a bad space. He's not talking about cascading happiness to happiness to happiness to happiness. He's talking about being in spaces where you can be refreshed because on the map, there's none to be found. This is the promise of the uncommon life. You have not come to a place today or to a church or to a faith that promises you that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you just live by faith, everything's going to be awesome for you. No, you have come to a faith that those who wish to live godly will have tribulation and hardships. But there is a way to live in it with meaning so that you can experience what Paul said. It's no longer I who lives, but now Christ who lives within me with joy and contentment with meaning. Father, we come to you today and you extend your hands to us in communion, in the bread and in the cup. You went, I love it, God. You went to the worst space, the worst place on the map you went to our failures you went to our evil you went to our wickedness you didn't come down and go to our happy place you came and went to our dark space our hidden space out of it you rose showing us that in all spaces we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us so today we put a pin in it this is a place of meaning this is a moment of meaning Jesus Christ is not a lunatic he's not a philosopher he's not just a good teacher He is the Lord of heaven. He is the map. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And today we receive through your broken body, through your poured out blood, out of our dark space, you bring light. And we receive that today.